Welcome to the Monday Morning Message, a podcast of Grace Community Church. My name is Paul Shirley, and I'm the pastor of Grace Community Church here in Delaware. And our Monday podcast is an opportunity for us to dig a little bit deeper into some of the biblical texts and truths that we dig into on Sunday, or maybe address some issues that might not come up specifically on a normal Sunday morning. Of course, right now, this podcast is a great opportunity for our church to continue to stay connected and thinking about the same truths as we go through this coronavirus crisis and we are social distancing and not meeting together corporately. This is a great opportunity for us to be thinking and meditating on some of the same truths together, even as we are missing out on the means of grace that we experience on a normal Sunday morning. And on that note, I think it is helpful for us to think a little bit about the category of the means of grace as we go through these circumstances. The means of grace are the external instruments that God has ordained and he does employ for our good, for our sanctification. Uh, These are the instruments that God has promised to use in the scriptures to make us more like Christ. And of course, many of the most ordinary means of grace that we find in the scriptures and experience in our own lives are found within the context of the local church, especially when we gather together on a Lord's Day. The means of grace of preaching, uh, the ordinances of the Lord's table and baptism, the corporate praise that we offer to the Lord together, the way we sing to one another, the public reading of scripture, the pastoral prayers, uh, all of these are means of grace that the Lord has ordained, not only for the good of the church generally, but for the sanctification of the believer specifically. And of course, during this time, we're missing out on many of those means of grace that we would normally be able to feast on every Lord's Day. So what are we to do? How do we supplement our spiritual lives in such a way to endure this trial and continue to be fed? Well, the good news is that even though the Lord providentially has removed these means of grace from the life of the church, and and he'll give them back, we will not be apart forever in these ways. We will return to meeting normally. We will return to singing together and sitting under the word together. Um, You can trust that. The Lord won't take these away permanently. However, during this providential time away from those means of grace, you can also trust that the Lord will continue to pour out his grace to you in specific ways. In fact, one of the specific means of grace that the Lord has promised to use is the means of grace that we find even in the trials that we face. In other words, God has promised to use trials as a means of grace. And this is an exceptional comfort to us considering we're facing various trials even in our day now, whether it is health concerns, whether it is battling anxiety, uh, maybe you're out of work already because of all that's going on. 
Uh, whatever the case might be, we are facing difficult times. And the encouragement that we possess as believers in the midst of these struggles is the fact that God's grace not only provides us with the strength that we will need to endure these trials, but also God's grace is at work in our lives through these trials. Did you catch that? God gives us the grace that we need for our trials, but he also provides us with the grace that we need through our trials. You see, our Heavenly Father promises to use every battle that we endure as a means of grace in our life. As God's children, we can face each tribulation with the joyful and sober confidence that God has designed our circumstances for the good purpose of conforming us to the image of Christ. And of course, that's exactly what we find in the scriptures, specifically in passages like Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Here we see the Lord's providential care and purpose in our life when it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, God is working for good in our life, and that good is defined by saving us and conforming us to the image of Christ. And included in that term, all things, is the trials and tribulations that we face in this life, even surrounding this coronavirus outbreak. Through these fiery trials, God is revealing our faults to us, and he's also demonstrating his faithfulness to us. Uh, this is a part of the refining process that the scripture so often speaks of. And we can trust that the Lord is not only being good to us in the midst of this, but also that he will be effective to us through these trials. You say, well, how exactly is God using the trials of our day in order to make me more like Christ? Well, one of the things that God loves to do is he loves to use trials to identify the idols in our life. See, we often uh, cultivate idolatry and foster that kind of false worship in our hearts without even knowing it. The, the idols that threaten the health of our soul by luring us away from God's grace and enticing us to devote ourselves to something other than God, that's what he is after in circumstances like these. And we can be thankful, even though it's uncomfortable at times, we can be thankful that our God is an idol-crushing God who will use any means necessary to crush and remove anything that would hinder us from a heartfelt devotion to him. He would much rather you endure a short season of pain in this life and endure the heartache of losing your idol than he would for you to endure the permanent pain of being caught up in your idolatry. As the author of Hebrews reminds us, 
He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. And that's in Hebrews 12, 10. The Lord is using these trials to help us to see the idols that we need to leave behind, the idolatry that we need to repent of. I mean, consider the biblical example of Job. He was a righteous man who had grown in grace beyond any of his contemporaries, and there were no overt sins dominating his life. However, like all of us, there were idolatrous tendencies hiding deep in the recesses of his heart. These seeds of unbelief in Job's heart were secluded in the midst of an otherwise pure life. But they were present and they were dangerous. And in Job's case, these idols in all likelihood would have remained hidden from his view if God had not intervened through trials. God used the circumstances of Job's life to squeeze this idolatry and unbelief out into the open. And he did this through the intense pressure of prolonged tribulation. It was only after these elements of Job's heart were out in the open that he was able to humble himself before the Lord and deal with them. And so in this way, the Lord used affliction to remove the hidden barriers to Job's worship and the shortcomings in his faith in God. And that's what God does for all of us. He uses trials as a means of grace to remove the dangers of idolatry in our lives. Now, in addition to using trials to help us identify our idols, God also works through trials to increase our faith. So as we go through this uh, time when we have to be apart and, and all of the fears and anxieties and trials that we are facing today, we're going to begin to see the idols in our life that, that the Lord is exposing to us and we have to deal with, but we're also going to have the opportunity to grow in our faith. And this is important because faith is the foundational responsibility in the Christian life. And through trials, the Lord helps us to fulfill the responsibility of faith and reap its fruits in our walk with him. In fact, that's what James 1 is teaching us. We can consider these trials a joy, which, by the way, notice James says that we have to consider them a joy. Why? Because they don't really feel like a joy in the moment, but we can consider them a joy. Why? Well, because God is using these circumstances to, to purify, to strengthen our faith so that from a spiritual perspective, we'll lack nothing. Or, or to quote the scriptures exactly, James 1, 2-4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. In other words, God is using our circumstances now in order to strengthen our faith in him. Sometimes God allows trials in our lives to give us no other option but to trust in him. What are we going to do? I can't do anything about the coronavirus. The best doctors in the world that we have, they don't know what to do. Our leaders, they're doing their best for the most part, I believe. But even they don't know what to do. 
what are we going to do? What are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to trust in your Clorox wipes to save you? Do you think that uh, you could find just the right mask that is impenetrable and no germs will ever get through it? Of course not. We can't trust in any of our normal means. So what do we have to do? Well, we have no other option but to trust in the Lord. That's what he does. Often he removes the possibility of finding hope in our circumstances so that we are forced to rely on the hope that can come only by faith in his word. That's what he did with Abraham. Just like with Abraham, God brings us to a hope against hope moment. That's Romans 4.18. Why? So that we have no other option but to rely upon him. I don't know what we're going to do, but I know who we serve. I know in whom I have believed, and I can hope in him. But we would not do this naturally. God knows us through and through. He knows what we need and when we need it. And there are many occasions when the only way we will walk by faith is when God takes away everything that we are trusting in and leaves us with nothing but his promises. He fortifies our faith by leaving us only himself as an anchor in the midst of troubling times. That's why we can confidently look at this trial that we are going through now and every trial that we might face in life, not just as a scary moment in time, but more importantly, as a gracious opportunity to strengthen our faith and deepen our Christian character. Through all of these things, God is reminding us that we can trust him. He is faithful. That's what God does. He exposes the, the weakness, the, the uh, utter insanity of trusting in our idols, and then he turns us back to the comfort of believing him. Now, those are a couple of the main things that the Lord is doing through trials as a means of grace. Another that we could add to that list is that God also uses trials to improve our ability to minister to others. See, Scripture provides us with a glimpse of this refining purpose of trials in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It says, but if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, I know there's a lot there, and you may not even have your Bible open. You may be listening uh, on your phone or whatever, but Paul's point is actually pretty simple here. When God safely brings you through suffering, you are then better equipped to encourage others to trust the Lord in the midst of their own suffering. And so as we go through this, we have the opportunity to examine our own hearts. We have the opportunity to grow in our faith, and we also have the opportunity to, to increase our effectiveness and usefulness for the Lord. As you battle anxiety, 
you have the opportunity to to then be better equipped to help others battle anxiety. You know what truths that you've gone to. You know what scripture passages you needed to find. You knew the promises that you need to lean on in the midst of anxiety. So what can you do? You can now walk somebody else through those same truths. Your submitted suffering in the midst of this time can make you a more effective minister of the gospel. In fact, if you do just a little reading in church history, you'll find that some of the most effective times in the history of the church for gospel outreach were in the midst of mass suffering. As we suffer with hope, we have the opportunity to be more effective in serving others for the work of Christ. All this together means that for a Christian, bad things in life are bad, and they can be difficult, but they're bearable. Why? Because God has promised to use them as a means of grace to deepen our faith and prepare us for his glory. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. It's not a strange thing that believers would suffer. It's not a strange thing at all. Our Savior suffered and died on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins. And we are certainly not above our Savior. Paul talked about his suffering as light and momentary in light of God's eternal glory. And of course, if Paul's imprisonments, beatings, persecutions, and betrayals were light and momentary, then our social distancing is definitely light and momentary. Now, of course, in all of these things, as we trust in the Lord to use our trials as a means of grace, we also run to the doctrine of God's providence. See, this is the truth that undergirds our expectation of grace in the midst of all this. God can faithfully promise to use our trials as a means of grace because he completely controls every detail of our lives. In fact, apart from God's providence, none of the means of grace would be possible. If God weren't in control of all these things, he could say, you know, I think it would be helpful for you to listen to preaching, but I don't know what will happen if you listen to preaching. No, no, that's not how the means of grace work. He promises us gracious results. Why? Because he's able to control those results. His preservation and governance of all things ensures the effectiveness of the instruments he has chosen to use and it guarantees its sanctifying effects in our hearts. Thus, we may not always understand our circumstances. We frequently don't. I, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't know the details of how everything is going to play out. I don't know when we'll be able to meet again. I don't know when you'll get your job back. I don't know how the economy is going to turn back from all of these things. There are so many question marks that we have in all of this. However, one question mark we never have to have is God's loving and gracious control of every detail of our lives. 
He is working for our good, even in the midst of trials which he has chosen to use as a means of grace. And to the unbelieving heart, such reminders of God's sovereignty might be resisted, but to the regenerate heart that knows how good and holy and loving and trustworthy God is, this truth is the source of immense comfort. God's providence guarantees that our lives, no matter what is happening to us in the moment, are in the gracious hands of the sovereign God. When we are caught in the storms of life, we must anchor our souls to the truth of God's providential care. He will hold us fast. In fact, he's promised to use our trials as a means of grace. So we're missing out on a lot of the means of grace that we benefit from and we will need to get back to when all of this is done but we can be confident that God has not withdrawn his grace from us completely. And even as we miss out on these other means of grace, he will continue to show us grace even through the trials that we face.